and it turns out, you know, that that by and large, although you have to read the whole study, um, people that left environments like this led, um, you know, remarkable and extraordinary and on the whole happy lives, you know, which I think is something that's um, what we want for our children. This season of Reconditioned is made possible thanks to Hifas Terra, and I'm a little bit obsessed with them and I want to tell you why. So if you follow me on social media, you'll know I talk about mushrooms a fair bit. Yes, I am that wild, and no, not the psychedelic kind. Not this time anyway. I've known about the crazy health benefits of medicinal mushrooms for a while, especially after watching Fantastic Fungi on Netflix, but I never found a brand that I fully trusted. And then I came across Hifas Terra, and I am not exaggerating when I say it has been life-changing. They have medicinal mushroom products to support autoimmune diseases, allergies, hormonal imbalances, gut health, brain function, emotional well-being, musculoskeletal issues, the list is endless. And because they're one of the few mycotherapy companies to actually carry out clinical trials on their products, they've been able to develop their Onco range, specifically for cancer. And potentially my favourite, they have products for children's immune systems and the gut-brain axis. Great for ADHD, sensory issues and gut support. These have got my kids through this winter of illness and they've made a huge difference to my son's sensory challenges. I'm swearing by them. Hifastaterra mushrooms are not only certified organic, but they use the fruiting body of the mushroom as opposed to the root, which even the so-called top mycotherapy companies are not doing because it's more time-consuming and more expensive, but Hifas are. Spoiler, you get more benefits from the fruiting body, which is one of the reasons HIFAS products are more effective. The concentration and content of their products are also much higher than standard brands, and the company are constantly striving for quality, effectiveness and safety, putting over 60% of their profits back into research. These products have changed my life, and I want you all to have access to this level of healing. So visit hifasdaterra.co.uk that's H-I-F-A-S-D-A-T-E-R-R-A acouk and use code Lauren15 for 15% discount. Thank you so much to Hifas Terra. Hi, I'm Lauren Vaknin and you're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast. I created this podcast following my journey from severe disability since infancy to complete wellness as a way to share my passion of healing the whole self. Because I learned in my own journey to wellness and through my two decades in the wellness industry that it makes no difference what you're here to heal. It all requires the same whole person approach. We tackle everything from trauma, health optimization and neuroplasticity to manifestation, holistic parenting and everything in between to help you create an optimized life of well-being, abundance, self-mastery, and purpose. You're not meant to live a life of stagnation and you're not meant to be just fine. So hang around and let me help you recondition your life back to wholeness. Okay, hi, welcome back everyone to Recondition. I don't know why I say that every time. (laughs) You know where you are, you chose to listen to it. You've clicked on it. There's a whole intro that says, 
Welcome to Reconditioned with Lauren Vacney and da 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 that you hear every time. But anyway, here I am. Um, I'm excited about this episode and excited for you to hear it because for those of you who don't know or haven't kind of caught up with, um, I guess, everything I'm into, I've been really researching and looking into holistic education for a very long time since a friend of mine about 10 years ago gave me a book by Sir Ken Robinson and told me to go and watch his TED talk which by the way is the most ever watched TED talk on YouTube it's called do schools kill creativity and um it's amazing and I've since read every book by Sir Ken who passed away sadly a few years ago and his daughter um finished writing his last book I guess they co-wrote it um so when that happened obviously I was already in you know holistic lifestyle and was already researching all things holistic and and that's actually something to be said maybe something to motivate those of you um who haven't yet had kids or are researching things that are not actually to do with anything you're currently doing I did all this research about stuff to do with kids way before I even had kids so I was researching physiological birth natural birthing hypnobirthing water births breastfeeding all of that kind of stuff including holistic education way before I was even planning on getting pregnant and I think that's a really important part of holistic living um, because it means that you're planning you're preparing for what you want your life to be and from a manifestation perspective obviously that's big because you're creating something into being by calling it in you know if you're trying to get pregnant but you haven't yet read any of the books or done any of the research it's kind of like you're not really expecting you're going to get pregnant um and I always recommend that to friends of mine or clients who want to get pregnant like read all the books immerse yourself into this world of being a parent um so anyway holistic um education was something I was interested in and I think this episode is so important for everyone regardless of whether or not you plan on you know putting your child into any sort of holistic education option or not because the future of education is the future and so in this episode, I speak to Ben Kessner, who, ha- who is the head of a school, a democratic school opened by this friend um, that I mentioned that gave me this book 10 years ago. So it's kind of all come full circle. And um, it was very poignant for me right now, having just moved my son from a school that we had chosen, that we felt was kind of like our only option based on the options we had. Um, And that's not to say anything bad about the school. I truly believe that most schools are doing the best they can with what they have and the knowledge they have at the time. However, we then found this school, which we'd found quite a while before. I just wasn't sure if I could do the journey and I've now succumbed to it um, because it's so worth it. And this is, again, a state school that has implemented the Scandinavian education system. I think so much of this and what I've learned is that the system doesn't necessarily have to change for us to change. It's a bit like when we talk about, you know, food and big food and big farmer and all these things. We can contribute to it by still going down those roads or we can buy organic food, you know, consumer pressure. We can grow our own. Consumer pressure is what changes stuff, right? These teachers and head teachers in these schools that decide that they want change and they go over and figure out what they're doing over there in Scandinavia and bring these methods back and implement it into their school regardless of what the parents are saying they're like no this is what we're doing that is what makes change 
right? Because they see what is actually best for the children, not for the business of the school, right? Which is how I see a lot of schools being run. They're operations. They're run like businesses. I understand they are businesses to an extent. I get that. But I also see that a lot of the decisions, even though the schools don't realize they're doing it, the teachers, the heads don't realize they're necessarily doing it, the decisions are putting the well-being of the organization, the operation, the business ahead of the children's well-being. And not in a horrific way, like they're putting the children in danger, but in a way that for me just doesn't sit right. These small little everyday decisions that mean that the organization comes first. And we've subsequently found a school after going on a complete journey of, are we going to homeschool? What are we going to do? What are our options? We looked into group homeschooling. We looked into... Um, provisions for homeschool children of which you could use you know two to three days a week perhaps forest schools and other provisions and came to the decision essentially that for me personally as a working mother I couldn't dedicate the time needed to educate my child effectively within that system and that is not to say that I'm viewing education in the standard way, right? I don't mean that I feel like I should be sitting down teaching my child equations because I actually don't see that as education. I think children learn through play. Children are learning all the time. There are many ways for children to learn. However, if you are going down the unschooling route, I still feel like, for me personally, the parents, at least one of the parents, has to be there the majority of the time to facilitate this and see what's going on and be really on the ball with it. We have a responsibility to our children. So for me to just drop him off at provisions was not right for us. And also for my son particularly, I felt like he needed a core group of friends, which you don't get when you do that unless you go to these provisions constantly all the time, the same children stay, which in the homeschool community can change quite a lot. And I have a lot of friends who homeschool and they're doing the most amazing jobs. It just wasn't possible for my family right now. And then we found this incredible school who have implemented this stuff within the state system. So I'm so proud to be a part of that school and also to be a, to be a part of a school that takes community so seriously and how they're really bringing community to the forefront of education which is something we haven't experienced before in other schools um and I'm just I feel really good with my decision and on the basis of that still wanted to interview Ben who is the head of this democratic school to see what they're doing over there how did they do this how can we all do this is this something is this something we all need to do and what are the children gaining are they missing out from anything so whether you're a parent or not whether you're an educator or not wherever you're coming from i think that this episode is hugely enlightening um for many reasons and i would love you to listen to it and let me know your thoughts on it and what you think about holistic education and how we can further our children's development and the education of I want to say the UK but I know there's people listening elsewhere and, and I'm very conscious that this is a worldwide thing I don't think America's doing it any better I don't think South Africa's doing it any better I don't think you know anywhere is particularly doing it better on the whole Scandinavia are doing a great job um but you know how can we improve our education how can we put children's well-being and under we, there's so much we know about child psychology now you know and the education system as it is right now is antiquated. It was set up for the purpose of servicing the labor needs of the industrial revolution. And okay, there's other initiatives that we've implemented since then, well-being initiatives and blah, 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 but they're not really at the infrastructure of the school. 
still of the system. They're not, they're just kind of things that we do here and there. And of course, we've evolved in so many ways with our schools. And I'm grateful that we have this option of state schools. I mean, it's amazing. And for so many children, necessary, right? It's the only safe place they have. But still, we shouldn't be settling for something that is not as good as it can be just because it's a safe space or we should be grateful that we have it, right? We need to keep striving for better. And this system needs to improve. So I'm proud of this episode and I'm excited for you to listen to it. As usual, please leave a review. Whenever someone leaves a review or rates the podcast, it makes it visible for more people who are into wellness and growth to find the podcast. And just in other housekeeping, please check out on my website my events. I've got two exciting events coming up. Um, in December, I'm running a weekend women's retreat at the beautiful 42 acres in Somerset. Um, but more recent, uh, uh, coming up sooner, uh, I will put it like that, um, I am hosting a very extremely exciting and powerful couples healing workshop. And I'm hosting it with my husband. So whether you are in a relationship that you feel is breaking down or whether you are in a relationship where you just want to really delve into the work so you can improve and up-level your relationship, you will love this workshop. I've literally been crafting it for a year and a half. It is everything I've been working towards based on mine and my husband's own journey, uh, which you can hear us talking on an episode of this podcast about it on episode 73 um, and there's been even more work since then so I'd love you to check that out um, there are limited spaces and half the space is already taken so by the time this comes out I don't know if more will be taken but it's going to be extremely powerful and even if you think it might be too esoteric and out there for you I promise the work involved will take your personal growth and the growth of your relationship to levels you never realized it could go to. I'm so excited about it, and I want you to be a part of it. So go and check that out on the website, laurenvacnin.co.uk, and enjoy this episode, and as usual, thank you for being here. Ben Kessner has been an educator for close to 30 years and has experience as a teacher and head teacher in different approaches from inner London schools to international schools in Germany and Belgium. He co-founded a democratic school in Montana, USA, 10 years ago, and is now head to the Learning Project in Ibiza, another democratic and self-directed environment. Uh, so Ben, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. I'm going to really get into so the audience knows exactly why I've asked you to be here. Um, but I always start by asking my guests the same question. So we'll start there. And that is, what have you done so far today to support your wellness? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, this is the end of a, a, a busy day with 73 kids aged 3 to 16. Mm -hmm. Um and we, you know, we're putting on a show and I'm directing actually right now, it's The Sound of Music. So I've just spent my whole afternoon, you know, uh, where the hills were alive um, to support my wellness. Yeah, I think that's, it's a good question because I don't know how much I have done to do that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I like to take some breaks, but in my, my, you know, average day is pretty full on, but yeah, mm, I yeah. think, yeah. So that's how that day's gone. Well, I'd like to say that 
I like to think that you're supporting the wellness of many children. So it's the, the well-being own. of many children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to work on that one. <laughs> okay, so the reason that I asked you to come on to Reconditioned is because um, you are head of this incredible, um, the learning project in Ibiza, mm-hmm. um, which was set up by a friend of mine who um, put me in touch with you. Mm-hmm. And um, I have been interested and my audience know how much I'm interested in a holistic approach to education for a very long time since this mutual friend gave me Ken Robinson's book about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got me on that journey. Um, so what I the reason I wanted to talk to you was because I think that in the UK, we're really missing a trick. And I mean, even an article came out today, actually, just I hadn't planned to talk about mm-hmm. this, but saw it just before we came online, um, that, oh, children, maybe it's too difficult for children to be starting school at four years old. Um, and, you know, I just look at countries around the world, especially Scandinavia, but really even America, who, you know, in some respects are really not very progressive with certain aspects of wellness, and none of them start their children at school at four years old. So, you know, the UK is very behind in terms of understanding children's well-being when it comes to education. And, and, and from my perspective, we're very much focused on education in terms of academia more than wellness. And they might have, you know, I'm using quote marks, <clears throat> wellness initiatives. But my experience within watching these schools and being a part of them with my own kids is these are almost kind of gimmicky. So wellness and a holistic approach to education has to come in to education in a much more, I want to say, kind of serious way and not so generic. So based on how much experience you've got, I'd love you to first start with what is self-directed education and what is a democratic school? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, and just before that, you know, you, uh, we talk about holistic education, and I think in 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 the education world, we also talk about you know the whole child and child centered, and I think as well those labels get uh, get labeled in many schools as something that you know is a name you know i mean the children presumably (laughs) in most schools are the center of the attention right they're the reason why schools exist um and so child-centered is something um that i think many traditional schools do try but um they can't really succeed in in the system that currently exists but maybe Mm -hmm. we can get onto that later but a self-directed democratic school um or environment is essentially um, to understand what it is initially, um, it, it, it's important to understand what unschooling is and actually how what, what learning is. Um, and if we kind of start from from the fact that learning is, um, you know, it's intrinsic. You know, humans were were exist um, and they learn best when they're intrinsically motivated, and, and it's something that we just know about human beings and children not necessarily specifically but that's human beings in general um and so because we know that if your intrinsic motivation is the best way then one of the best ways to learn is to do things that you find interesting um you know kids right from birth are able to do that aren't they they you know they uh, you know they acquire their skills um through play and running around putting you know doing dangerous things and throwing things and things like that. Um, and so if, if we kind of just take it from there and just really think about what learning is, 
it's um it, it, it's that it's the it, it's it's that kind of natural curiosity that's really important um so a self-directed school um typically although again that's a whole different subject because there's lots of different types of learning environments like this but essentially under the umbrella of unschooling means <clears throat> um, that the children in our school um, can choose what they want to do all day. Um, they're part of a, a community and we go with their, you know, their interests and their, their, their motivation and, and things like that all day. Um, and so that's, that's essentially it. They, you know, we like to say that our curriculum is only limited by the child's imagination. So that's like our starting point. <clears throat> and, um, so that's the self-directed part and, and you know it means that when a kid walks through the front door of our project in the morning it's their day and they just get on with it um, and there are many things that happen during that day we have we do have some classes if the children want to have classes and but otherwise they get on with their own projects and they learn from each other and then the democratic part which isn't always every unschooling type environment um, but it means that our community is run democratically through what we call the community meeting. Um, and each child uh, and staff member has one vote, including myself. I have the same vote, one vote as a six or seven year old. And all of the kind of day to day and organizational aspects of the school are held through that meeting. So that can include what we call community agreements, which some schools might call rules but then we call them community agreements and they're things for you know they're agreements that we make so that we can exist peacefully and um, happily as a community um, and you know we have another system in place where if we break community agreements it's called the peace and justice committee which is another part of the you know part of the structure of the school which um, is um, a way that we can kind of share those those aspects. So a self-directed democratic school really is those two components. It's the self-directed part is the children follow their own interests and their own passions. Um, and the democratic part is the way that the organization is is run democratically. Mm. So I'm going to ask the questions that I know my audience are going to be thinking. Mm -hmm. And the first one that comes to mind is, and this is a question that people have asked me before and I don't fully know the answer um you know people have said things like oh if I gave my son the opportunity to choose what he wanted he'd never do anything he'd just play computer games or sit and you know do nothing presumably you don't have computer games at the school yeah. I don't know but how so my first question is you know how do you kind of encourage them to want to do things that are going to you know benefit them or encourage them to learn i know that they learn through what they through their interest anyway but the other question is when you're asking when you're including the six and seven year olds in this decision making how are you as a, an adult able to trust fully that those are going to be the right decisions for everyone as a whole mm -hmm. well let me start with the first the first part was like how do you you know, um, the first part was about how do we um, make them want to learn? Yeah, I guess. And also, it? also, I guess that ties in with the question of if they're all doing what they want, how do you facilitate everything for everyone? If they all come in one day and all want to do something different or how does it work in a democratic school environment with the facilitators and the children? What if they want to do something different like how, on a tangible level? How's it working? Yeah, and that's a 
question we get a lot is like what well, describe a typical day is another way of of saying that which is it, it, it is impossible because the days are all so different um i think um going back to what you said about um a parent that might have a concern that if my child was there maybe they'll choose to do nothing um i think that what we have to kind of understand about learning is that it's impossible to do nothing for, for a start right and because because we're conditioned as adults depending on the environment we were in uh, in terms of schooling or the way we were brought up to think that uh, learning is through subjects or learning is uh, a particular you do it in a particular place uh, uh, and you know learning is you know those kinds of things so we're conditioned in that respect and so that's that is a worry for parents you know initially if they um haven't read a lot about this or listen to podcasts like this where, where it's explained um because that that becomes a worry but if we break it down to you know children we we human beings and children in particular acquire we need to acquire skills and we need to acquire information and i think it was uh, peter gray who said that you know that that you acquire skills um through play you acquire your skills through play essentially um and you get your information through curiosity. So we're trying to create an environment here where we can all play. And I, that's a whole different conversation as well, because play isn't necessarily the opposite of work. You know, it's, um, you know, it, it's something that we all do every day, even as adults, if it's something we're enjoying and we're, we're in the flow as it were. And so that's, that, that is a worry sometimes. So, but for, for example, um, you know, we have a 10,000 square meter forest as part of our campus. And if children want to just climb trees all day, they can. And they can climb trees all day for days. They could climb trees all day for weeks and they could continue over the months if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so that's something it can be a barrier for some people because um, it could be a concern. Well, that's not working, is it? Or that's not learning. They're not learning anything by climbing a tree. Um, and so that that's kind of the first aspect of it. it, it it's it's the it's the um, the trust. And, you know, the first line of our mission statement here in our environment is we trust children to take control of their own lives and learning. And I think it's something that as adults we're very afraid to do because we're kind of programmed to um, to make everything like a, a you know a teaching moment. You know, so we have our kids playing with some Lego, for example, and, you know, they're just playing with Lego and we really want to come in as an adult and say, why don't you do it like this? And if you built a structure like this, it, you could make it really high and things like that. But actually, sometimes it's best just to observe and watch and let them make those own decisions and things like that. Um, so I guess I, that, I guess that's the answer to that. There, there, there isn't a moment in this in the day for our children where they're doing nothing because that's physically impossible. Um, but there are moments actually where where kids might say they're bored. <clears throat> and that's actually a, a, a kind of a wonderful moment for us as well as educators, because that can be the catalyst towards understanding that that's a feeling that they don't like, you know, we, I think none of us like that feeling when we we're bored. And where does boredom lead? It often leads to uh, other kind of uh, imaginative and curious, curiosity inspired things. So in, in, in terms of like a, a typical day, uh, it, it, it's impossible for me to be accurate about, but I can tell you that children here 
um, you know, like I said, that we, we, ha we have what's called areas of interest as well, like we have in our lives. And they, they have a board here where, you know, if you, for example, we had some, a, a group of uh, kids who wanted to do scuba diving and we're in Ibiza here. So that's kind of a thing that's easily accessible. And so what they do if, if they want to do scuba diving is they have to first of all bring it up at our community meeting as a, you know, an idea and they put something on a board, which is our areas of interest board and other kids can sign up to it. And then at that point, staff members may help if needed to organize, like, what does that involve doing scuba diving lessons? And that involves contacting a scuba diving instructor going down there and, you know, organizing that whole event. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so that, that in itself is an incredible amount of learning. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to kind of for us to uncondition ourselves for thinking that learning are traditional subjects in schools and yeah. uh, they definitely can be but it's 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 kind of you know um that so i th i think that might answer some of what you said about what the typical day is i mean we also have kids doing maths classes if they want to you know and we have people that can do that and um but also remembering that kids teach each other as well so they're mm. in, in a mixed age environment that happens too um, do so. and this this might sound like a joke question but it's not at all at all are there many kids that choose to do maths um it yes but it but again that question that question can also be um tinged <laughs> with with a kind of um with an idea of what maths is right because not, i mean yeah because I, under un, under everything you know like you know, yes, kids need to be able to read, write, and 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 know some numbers in their life in order to kind of succeed or to even kind of survive in this world. Reading and writing is pre is pretty important, and also mm -hmm. being able to have some understanding of numbers. Um, but there are it, it really does depend, you know. So that there have been cases in the last ten years at the school as as well in Montana where. Um, kids have done no formal maths until, you know, until they really want to. So they can join at four years old, five years old or something, and then have done nothing that's formally known as a maths class. Um, and then, but, but, but actually they've done a lot of maths, you know, like if you think of all the things they've been doing in the, all of those years, there's a lot of maths in that. Mm. And so, and, and, and if it gets to a stage where the child wants to do a formal class for whatever reason, um, they are available. I know I've kind of skirted your question a bit, but I can't, can't think of the numbers right now out of the kind of 70 kids, but I'd say quite a lot of them at some point uh, are at least interested to start doing it and then see how their interest goes. Mm. So, yeah. And how do you make sure that they are learning how to read and write? So reading and writing um, is a is a topic. Yeah. Uh, how do we make sure of it? So the best way of um, doing anything that I'm describing is to have, like I said, um, an, an intrinsic motivation to do it, a desire to do it. That's that's probably uh, or if not, definitely. But I'm not going to say definitely in education ever, because um, there may be some children where that's not the way to do it necessarily. But what we encourage here is to to learn to read and write when the child is ready. Um, and actually in an environment like this, it becomes something that they really want to do quite early on. Because as I described, if you've got six and seven year olds voting in a community meeting, and it's like Robert's Rules of Order, and it's, there's an agenda, and there's a you know community chair, and there's a secretary, and there's a minute and a taker, and all of those things, <clears throat> these meetings, um, 
that's just one example of how being able to read and write really makes you feel more connected to the community. Mm. And so there are really like real world, actual real world um, reasons to want to be able to to want to read and write in, a, in mm. an environment like this. Um, my daughter, who's 15, who's been in this type of education since she was five or six, um, probably didn't wasn't reading in terms of although I always like to say everyone is a developing reader, even if you can read like one word, um, but she probably wasn't reading books as such until maybe she was eight or nine. Um, but she really is, you know, she's now an avid reader and because, because she was never forced to actually read. Mm -hmm. And so in answer to your question, we don't ensure that they read and write, but they do because it becomes something, um, you know, we were not, we weren't taught to walk where we, we just, as as babies, we just walked, you Mm -hmm. know, and we didn't, we weren't taught to talk either. And so actually you can read without being taught to read as well. Mm. But that's not to say we don't have people around who can teach them reading if that's something we want to do as well. Have more sort of formal approach to that is fine too. Yeah. So. And so how how does can can you describe how the school works? Is it set into separate classrooms? You said that all the age groups are together. I'd love to get kind of a picture of how how a day works. So if there's a child that says on that day they want to, you know, go and climb trees in the forest or a child that wants to do reading and writing how is that all facilitated how many facilitators are there it's mm. just really interesting to get an idea of how these schools are set up and how they're running yeah. so that when we go on to my next question afterwards of the education reforms we need that we can kind of have ideas of how to maybe implement these structures yeah so we in this particular environment we so i'll talk mostly about the six-year-olds and above because we have a a section of three to five-year-olds as well which is slightly separate Mm. um and the reason for that is because of some of the things i've mentioned to do with uh, the community meeting and things like that where it um uh you know cognitively a six-year-old is more able to kind of understand some of the ramifications of the decision-making that they're doing. That's not to say kids under that can't, but that's just how we have it set up right here. And um, and your question was about how it's set up. So, you know, um, uh, so I'm just trying to describe it because, so we have our campus and we have the forest and the kids arrive and a typical day in, in this sense is everybody signs in in the morning. So you'd sign in with the time that you arrived um, and then you get on with your day. And we have facilitators, we, we call them staff members. And typically in democratic schools, I would say the ratio is something like one staff member to 10 kids or to 10 or 15 kids, something like that. And we're, um, so in, in our particular environment, we have in the older section, we have five um that are full-time that are here all the time <clears throat> and so we're, we're just around when they arrive um and it really does depend so for example one child might have uh particular classes that they've either wanted or signed up to or they're they're leading themselves or something like that and they will have their idea of what they want to do that day we have a um a main room with a board that looks um, looks like a timetable, which some parents that come 
around the school think, oh my gosh, you are like a, a real school, you know, like a traditional school because it says Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it has the times down the side. And it also, and so it has some of the things that are going on that day that might be more permanent or organized, like for example, a class or the community meeting and things. <clears throat> so they'll typically just go to the board and have a look at that and see if there's anything either that they've signed up for or that they want to do that day in terms of something that's um, been planned. And if that's not the case, they'll just get on with whatever they want to do. And that might involve so many different things. It might be a project they're working on on their own with some friends. It might be playing in the forest. It might be reading a book. It might be, you know, just getting on with their day, essentially. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's that's how the, their day proceeds. Mm -hmm. um, there's no time specific time to eat so each of our children bring in a packed lunch and we have a kitchen and they, they put their food in there and they can eat whenever they want in the day and typically um, they gravitate towards wanting to eat together so a bunch of kids might say hey do you want to come out you know onto the patio and eat lunch and then they'll all eat together and then they, they'll come back <clears throat> there's a lot of learning there as well especially with the younger kids because they, they'll typically arrive to school really hungry eat all their lunch straight away and then you know, get on with their day and forget <laughs> or with the younger kids as well often it happens that they'll forget to eat completely uh, because they're having so much fun during the day and then they get home hungry so there's things like that so that's um the, so there's no set time to eat um all of our community members do a chore including myself you know all the staff members at the end of the day at 3 30 um and we've organized a you know you know the, the kids have organized a rotor for all of this and um, you know, it can be anything from sweeping rooms to cleaning, to, you know, to tidying shelves and things like that, so that we're ready for, for, for the next day. <clears throat> and then we all sign out at the end of the day with the sign out sheet. They started the day by signing in and they end the day by signing out. Mm. And so it's a completely free environment, mixed age, which is really crucial for these kinds of environments. Mm. So you, you are mixing freely with, at the moment, we have uh, children up to 16 right now, but in, in our school, in Montana, we had up to 18, so it was kind of a bit, we're, we're growing, our 16-year-olds will become older. <clears throat> and so typically in a democratic school environment, you'll have kids who are between age five and 18, just mixing freely all day. Mm. And that's wonderful too, because we've got to remember that, that learning takes place um, amongst age groups as well, you know, and, you know, there's so much, um, because of that free mixing, it's an, it's an incredibly important part of, um, learning from the older kids what they're doing and, and it's like having a really big family <laughs> of yeah. mixed ages. Here's the thing about stress and anxiety. Our bodies have not evolved to manage the level of stress we're faced with today, which means that we are constantly in fight or flight mode. And you'll feel this through anxiety and overwhelm and also through your chronic health problems. Modern life breeds stress, which breeds disease. But if we want to be well, we have to lessen that stress ourselves. Now, I've personally been reducing my stress and overwhelm for nine months now using the Sensate. It's a small palm-sized device that sends infrasonic waves through the chest in order to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system, which is the body's command center. You use it while playing the specially composed hemispheric audio within the app, and the majority of people report feeling calmer after only a short session. Everyone I lend it to ends up buying one because of how much calmer they instantly feel. Now I'm particularly recommending the Sensate to anyone who suffers from anxiety and wants help calming the nervous system, those who want to deepen their meditation practice, 
and people who are looking for ways to be calmer and more grounded. You can get £30 off The Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code LAUREN30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, LAUREN30. Thank you so much to Sensate for partnering with Reconditioned. Now back to the episode. And following on from that, um, you know, a friend of mine has set up here a homeschool, um, I guess, community, a community of people all following an unschooling approach. Mm. Um, And her big thing that she talks about is the importance of community Mm. and how we've kind of lost that in our schools a lot. Schools used to be kind of the hub of community. A lot of us now travel for schools because, you know, for whatever reason, the local school isn't the right one for us. Mm. And so it's not kind of the local community, but I, I'd love for you to touch on the importance of community of, cause you know, kind of the experience we often have here is you drop your kids to school, you're kind of expecting someone else to, you know, educate them and do the rest. You come and pick them up and kind of, that's it. And you might, yeah. there's a few parents who might be on the PTA, yeah. um, and you might be involved in a few things, but generally we don't necessarily feel part of a community in the way that mm. it used to be. What is the importance of community or what do you place? How do you place the importance on, on community within a democratic education or a self-directed education? Yeah. And you've, t- you've touched on, I'll start with community within our, you know, the nine till four o'clock community, which consists of the children and the staff members. And you, you, you've also touched on a really important point, which is beyond that, you know, in terms of the families as well, mm. um, which I think a lot of families, mm, yeah, a lot of families are seeking. Some aren't, you know, you, you can you can see, I mean, not necessarily in our environment, but in schools in general, they're quite happy just to drop their kids off and let the educators do the educating and then pick them up at the end of the, uh, you know, uh, of the day. Um, but do we think that, that because I feel like that's maybe part of our problem that we've yes. grown to view education like that and we're not all part of the community that is educating our children we, we no longer have that village mentality yeah. of it's up to all of us to raise our children yeah. and, and I feel like maybe that's part of the problem with the education system yes um I, I would say so I I one of the ways I like to describe it is so if you imagine um uh, you know, one of these um, maps at the beginning of a book, like, um, uh, you know, like Lord of the Rings or something, you get these kind of maps mm. and they've got mountains on them. And, you know, you have to cross like dangerous rivers and you have to cross the mountains and you're you're on a quest to reach the other side of the mountain and you might come across dragons and dangers and things like that. That's essentially if we think of that map as our lives um, and our goal, let's say the goal at the end of crossing this mountain range is uh, lifelong learning, let's just say, I know that's an overused phrase, but some some kind of um, feeling that you have when you're through through those mountains that you're ready to take on life in a way that, you know, you can tackle the problems that you might face, but you have that kind of desire to keep learning and be curious. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's keeping wanting to acquire information that's going to be something that's really important. And as I mentioned, being curious is that part. But if you think what traditional schools tend to do is if you think of the path through those mountains as in a traditional school, it's quite straight. It's a straight path. So if you imagine that path, you know, it it, it goes across that shark infested river. And then when you get to the mountains, a traditional school will build a tunnel for you um, and it goes through the tunnel. You know, so you, you yeah, it's a bit scary through the through the tunnel, which might might equate to being a little bit scared sometimes in your traditional 
uh, school route, uh, but you're essentially safe and you're going through the tunnel. And then you get to different stations like in the UK, GCSEs, A-levels, then you, this, this straight path just keeps going. It's safe, you know, you're being guided by all these teachers and a system that the, the, the parents are really familiar with because they went through the system as well. Um, and at the end of it, you know, you've done your A-levels, you get, you go, you know, you go to university. So you're feeling really pleased with yourself and then beyond that, and then suddenly it's like the, the path stops and beyond university is that, okay, now get on with your life. Mm-hmm. And the way I describe that is it's like a train and it's running, it's running along that path. And it's like, you know, you're going through the stages and that's how a traditional school um, is set up, you know, and, and, I, I don't criticize traditional schools as well because I was involved with them for a long time, but I, I just know that that's not how we want to do it. So now if I take the path now of our learning environment or people that unschool or send people you know, to, to things like our project, well, how I describe this is the family, like that the path now isn't the one that's straight and it's going through. Your, your kids, if you send them to our project, are going to be trying to get across this shark infested river. Then they're going to go to the mountains and they're not going to go, know what to expect. It's going to be quite exciting, actually. We're going on a, you know, that, that kind of like hobbit journey, you know, and we don't know quite what we're going to expect. And this path is, is windy and it's narrow and it goes in different directions and things like that. But we can't guarantee where, where your child is going to go. Mm. you know you put them in the traditional system you're you, you know it's very much like okay um, that's good your job is to get good GCSEs good A levels and get them into a top university mm. we when, when parents drop their kids off here or when I talk to them about it I, I say to them I have no idea what's going to happen to your child I mean I know they're going to be safe <laughs> um, but but I don't know what's going to happen on this journey so we they've got this, like this backpack on and we as a family your family and us need to work together and go with them along that path and support them on the way they're going to have times when they're bored or or where where they don't know what they're doing and they you know don't know what to choose and things like that but that i think that brings into what you said about community we rely on community beyond our own community Mm. i.e the parents um to make this journey work Mm. um and then within our school the community is is in itself a microcosm of society because you know we work as a society we get on we vote everything democratically we have consequences to things that we do wrong um you know we we keep the whole place tidy we we sometimes don't get on with each other and we have a mediation process that helps with that and things like that so we exist as a sort of a community within that but i think beyond that is important too it's almost like you've brought it back to basics of what the village mentality would have been with the elders and you know the mm. guides and you know kind of having these meetings conflict resolution and which is essential because I guess in schools you know traditional school if you have that there might be arguments and then this one doesn't like that one and never gets resolved and it affects Mm. the children the question I I have for you following that is and I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate here because I know that there will be people wondering these questions do you think that the children in your project or similar projects are missing out on anything? Yes, they're probably missing out on a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, because that question, I could, I could think about that in, in in lots of different ways, right? I mean, missing out on things. Um, they're probably missing out. Yeah, I, I, if but you in a negative way, I mean. Yeah. So, like, you know, I know I have a lot of friends in the homeschool slash unschool yeah. communities, and they don't see it as missing out, right? So, and I don't either. 
yeah, we'll yeah. choose a path and but there are some things that we choose and our ch- ch- child might miss out on something but what I mean is in a negative way do you feel like perhaps more of a structure more classrooms more set classes um you know more set ways of learning could benefit them or do you see children at the end of their journey or in the middle of their journey there and know that they are kind of well-rounded individuals who are doing okay and are going to be okay well there have been lots of studies i mean there have been some studies with you know these kinds of educational environments um which are the closest to what we represent have been going on for a long time i mean you know so we're probably close closest aligned to what's called the Sudbury Valley School in the States, but also Summerhill to a certain extent, you know, which is at the UK um, school opened by A.S. Neal uh, over a hundred years ago. Um, and there that, that have, you know, they've been studied because that's interesting because it's what is, what is our goal? You know, I mentioned that map about sort of being sort of happy or at least prepared adults as we go forward through life. Um, and it's a question of kind of trying to work out what 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 our goal is, you know. And so the idea of missing out is really is is a really hard one. So, for example, some of the studies, one of them, which was um, done by Peter Gray, and it's called "In Pursuit of Happiness." So it's a way of um, looking at graduates from the Sudbury Valley School, which has been going on. It was founded in 1968. Um, so there's a, a lot of graduates that he, you know, was able to to interview for this particular study. And it turns out, you know, that that by and large, although you have to read the whole study, um, people that left environments like this led, um, you know, remarkable and extraordinary and on the whole happy lives, you know, which I think is something that's um, what we want for our children. Um, And so um, the only thing that has been said, especially in the States in our school, where some people came to visit the environment and then they said, well, you know what, we're going to keep them in the in the what they call public schools, the state school system, mm-hmm. because you don't have a big football team, you know, American football team, or right. they're going to miss yeah. out on, you know, and, and we do get kids who watch things on TV about like high American high schools, and they've got the, the long corridors with the lockers and, yeah. you know, and things like that. And there could be that fear of missing out on that kind of mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> situation. But in, in educationally and learning wise, I, mm-hmm. I think they're just, um, having such an amazing journey. I think it's it's what, you know, typically kids within environments like this are really good at kind of identifying hurdles that are in front of them and going over those hurdles um, to achieve something they want to achieve, which is essentially what we want for them in life. <clears throat> and so, you know, that's, you know, that's what we give them. We give them, you know, the angst and the pain of growing up and being bored and not knowing what you want to do and choosing your path and all of those things, where, which are really difficult, I have mm. to say, within an environment like this for some kids, you kind of get to 18 or the point at which you're then your path goes to a different direction, which may be college or university, or it may be some kids start their own business or they, they, they travel or, you know, they do their own thing. They're, they're more ready human beings for the world, um, the world ahead. So in that sense, I think they're not missing out on anything, but I guess you do sometimes, you know, recently, recently, just now we had uh, one of the things that came up in our community meeting, we have, um, you know, what we call cubbies, which might, might, they're like lockers with with doors in in a big room. Um, And one of uh, three of our kids brought up a community meeting that they wanted locks on them. 
because we currently don't have locks um, and nothing's gone missing, but we have a rule saying you can't, you know, we've come up with a community rule to say you can't go into somebody else's cubby and we're, we respect that. But they brought up um, that they wanted locks. And their main reason for wanting locks is because of what they're watching, what they're watching on TV. And they, they thought it was really cool to have a locker with a lock. You know, it wasn't really about worrying that something was going to get stolen. It was just they felt they were maybe missing out on on that kind of thing. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. So and, and it does happen sometimes, um, not often, but sometimes. And it's happened with us in Montana as well, um, that, that a kid will go back to the traditional system because they just want to know you know what that's like and then they often just come back again so it's it's there's a there's a bit of fluctuation there as well mm. so, yeah what are the problems the 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 really main pressing issues that we are facing in the traditional education system where does it need to change and where where do we start yeah so i can describe the problem and where it needs to be changed, but I'm I'm having difficulty knowing where we start. But we can maybe kind of solve that together in the next five or ten minutes. Um, the problem. I know Ken Robinson spent his entire life trying to solve that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he did a great job at describing that. You know, describing mm. the problems. Um, but um, he'll be he would have been the first to admit that he just didn't have the answer because there are so many different like ways of I, I guess one way of putting it is I I know I know um I don't know what's exactly right for children um but I know what's wrong right. <laughs> so that so could what, be one so what's wrong it. let's go yeah. there so so the traditional system which um is you know based on you know the the, the uh, industrial revolution factory model of schooling which essentially is putting kids into boxes and making them go from box to box with a bell to tell them where to go and also the the the, the absolute focus on reading writing and maths which is actually becoming to the detriment within the uk curriculum right now um is 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 how schools started you know reading writing and arithmetic it's the classic kind of industrial revolution type um schooling which actually was was designed for people that did not didn't have wealth because the ones that had wealth had their own personal tutors within their houses and they were able to do music and needlework and you know and all of the wonderful things that are connected to uh, a more sort of broad and balanced curriculum you might say <clears throat> but 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 the model the industrial model hasn't changed and it's very much um about um uh, you, you know, about acquiring information in order for you to pass an exam. So you've always got that kind of within that system, you've always as, as a student or a, a child and a teacher, you've always got that kind of like, I don't know, it's like sort of the grim reaper of, you know, grades over your shoulder, you know, you know that that's the main focus, whatever happens. So that might go into because I have ideas of how you might want to start to change the traditional system bit by bit but i actually think it's better probably just to get rid of it all and start the way we're doing it at the learning mm. project right but that's you know obviously not going to happen tomorrow um <clears throat> so that kind of factory industrial idea which essentially hasn't changed and i i, I also want to give a shout out right now to the educators in that system who are doing a fantastic job trying to change it Absolutely. many of my yeah. many of my colleagues who are still in that system and are doing a fantastic job trying to change it but mm. when we talk about I think it might have even been Ken Robertson, but I'm, I'm going to say it as if it might have been me saying this, but instead of re reform, we need to talk, talk about transforming yeah. education. <clears throat> and my, what, what, what 
um, became really upsetting to me as I progressed through my career was I tried to do that from within and it's like snipping around the edges of a system that's broken mm. as opposed to completely rethinking it mm. <clears throat> and if you don't mind I mean you said I could be a little bit long with my answers but can I give you a brief um, you know when I first started teaching um, in my 20s um, I, I remember getting my first paycheck you know my first you know pay slip in my you know in my cubby in the staff room um and i remember looking at it and thinking and i get paid for this as well it was just the best thing ever you know i i realized you know i i also was a flute player in my early 20s and wanted to pursue that as a career but when i took up teaching i just knew i was in the right place and i, I was with the kids and i just felt this is it and i couldn't believe i got paid for being a teacher as well <laughs> you know and that this was i hasten to add like a month in you know <laughs> to my teaching <laughs> career <clears throat> now it's nearly 30 years and but it kind of it, it just progressed from there i went from one comprehensive which is in them in North Norfolk and then I went to an inner city comprehensive school in London and taught there and but and, and I think it was kind of a drip 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 over the years of of the recognition that this isn't working like what I'm trying I'm trying to teach them things that they don't really want to learn and so why am I doing that and why why am I doing that because I have to because it's my job and also they have to get the, the marks in the exams in order to pass them so for example I started off as mostly a music teacher because I had a music degree and I'm teaching kids in inner city London, you know, Beethoven or, you know, or even the kind of the, the, the history of the blues or something like that. But it's not really what they were into. What they wanted to do was their music, you know, and so, you know, so it's a kind of drip, drip, drip thing. And then I went to international schools and became a curriculum coordinator in one of those international schools, thinking this is how I can change it. <clears throat> and it just goes on and on like that. And, and eventually, when our daughter was born that's when it became serious now it's like ah this is affecting our family now mm -hmm. and um there's a kind of long-winded way of saying that um that the 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 system I, I came to that realization that the system wasn't working from within and i know there's lots of my colleagues in the system i mean in mm -hmm. fact the the biggest conversation within staff rooms throughout my career in traditional schools was like this sucks this is not good but uh, but we can't really change it but you know wouldn't it be great if we got together and started our own school or something mm -hmm. like that and we could do it differently um so i guess that's a long way of saying uh, that's that part of the system another aspect i think that's crucial in order for the the education system that exists to change in the traditional sense is colleges and universities. It's the kind of top of the pyramid. It's what all schools are aiming towards. Mm. <clears throat> and they dictate, um, they dictate that, you know, in, in the sense that they, you have to get certain grades in order to get into these colleges. So I would like to, like it to be that we try to transform it from that level first, government and universities first. In other words, recognize through that path through the mountains that I described that, that, when you get over the mountains, there are many paths. One might be university, one might, you know, there might be 10 other paths that they might take and, yeah. and get away from that focus that you, everyone has to go to university, you know, and things like that. And so that's kind of, I don't know if I've answered that question, but it's, it's the, 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 the traditional system is broken. I think most people who are in the system realize that. Mm -hmm. um, certainly a lot of my colleagues that are still in that, in, in the system realize that, but it's really difficult to change from within. yeah I've experienced this myself in in like you know you see these teachers working so hard wanting to do the best and they go into teaching because they want to be an educator you know so many teachers I've met over the years love kids love teaching um and so many of them have become completely disillusioned yeah. um and my experience has been going to the schools 
and you know being faced with certain you know members of senior leadership teams who have become so indoctrinated by the system by that point Mm -hmm. they're no longer the young you know encouraged optimistic Mm -hmm. teachers and you try to you know offer something that can maybe that you feel would be beneficial to the school and to the children's well-being within the school and they turn you down because it does well the system doesn't allow for this Ofsted Mm. wouldn't allow for this you know the 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 borough council whatever wouldn't allow for this so it it feels like it's all very much uh the system (laughs) that is the problem you know and if you take away kind of Ofsted and I you know we had a local school Steiner school here that was closed down just because of Ofsted. And it was Mm. when you actually looked at what was going on, there was nothing wrong with the school. It just Mm. didn't meet Mm. Ofsted standards. Mm. So the school had to shut down, which was such a shame because a lot of people from the local community relied on that school as being the only school that offered some sort of, you know, holistic education. I know there are some people Mm. that love Mm. Steiner, some people that completely oppose Mm. the Steiner method, but, you know, for us in this area, it was kind of the only option for holistic education mm. um, of some sort. So um, if you, you know, weren't equipped to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very much, you know, a system problem. And I, and I, but I feel like, you know, what we've done, and I don't want to go into details and I'm not going to, you know, name areas or, or, or names mm. or anything, but what we have managed to found, find for our children now is a state school that has implemented the Scandinavian education system. So what they did was the senior leadership team were open and were very curious and looked at what was going on over there in Scandinavia. And they were like, what, mm. what were they doing so well over there? Yeah. You know, because they're, they always come up at the head, you know, the, the top of the charts, whereas the UK are number 23 in education, mm. supposedly one of the most progressive countries in the world. I would argue that that is not the case, mm. but number 23, you know, we got to look at that and parents, you know, need to, look at that but anyway this school this you know the the head teacher at the time was looking at that and she took the senior leadership team over to Helsinki Mm. and they observed 15 different schools over there and they brought the system back now my experience within education and you know this has been something that my husband and I and my husband works in education as well Mm -hmm. so we really do kind of have an insight into how it's working you know we the experience is bringing something very different to a group of parents and asking them to be okay with that very rarely goes down. I know with my daughter's nursery, they didn't, they wouldn't change the menu because the parents liked what was on the menu, even though Mm -hmm. most of it was processed food and the rest of it, you know? And so coming back and saying, Hey, we're going to do shorter school days. We're going to finish earlier and we're going to do less of the core lessons. And there's going to be, you know, and and they implement and they didn't care. They were like, this is what's happening. This Mm -hmm. is how it's going to be. And I'm so inspired by them. And yes, we're still in the system. This is still a school that's in the system. And there are certain things that we can't get away with. Mm-hmm. But the children have more movement. They don't do any core lessons after lunch. After lunch, it's all creative. They finish at 2.30. They have enrichment mm-hmm. after that if they want to. Mm-hmm. The school are looking first and foremost at what the children need in terms of well-being. They're not putting on a show, which is what a lot of schools do to, you know, bring it. Look at our school. Yeah. It's not that the school doesn't feel like an operation. So yes. while they're still in the system, it feels like a community. And that's what's attract. And I'm having to travel a long way for this school, but you know, so be it. Um, and it's changed my son. Mm. I, I mean, mm. as if overnight, 
you know? And so from, from witnessing this, my belief is that we can change within the system, but the people within the schools, within the senior leadership teams need to be okay with the fear around change and need to make a decision that it's okay that some people are going to be opposed to it, but what's going to be best for children in the long run. And we're not never going to change the system as a whole, unless each individual unit within that system decide because the top are never going to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. They're never going to go, right. Let's change the system. Let's make it super holistic. Who cares about Mm -hmm. university? They're not going to be. If each individual school implemented some of these methods, having half a day of forest school every week, You know, all these kind of little things that you can implement into the classrooms, like the children don't have to sit at certain chairs. They can sit on a wobble board. They can sit on, you know, the sensory cushion. All these small things make such a difference to a child's well-being. And as a holistic health coach and understanding child psychology, I know that a child who starts off in a school like that by 11 will be a very, very different child to Mm. going through a standard system. So um, again, a long-winded answer just to say that I think it needs to change. That I don't think the system as a whole will change until each individual school starts bringing things in themselves. That's just from what I've witnessed from my experience now. One kind of last question, pressing question, I guess, is that a lot of people will be listening to this thinking that's lovely you're in Ibiza with this democratic school. How much are these people in Ibiza paying for this school? And, you know, Mm. I can't do that. And, you know, people may be thinking that's all well and good for certain people, but how do we do this? Mm. How do we, how do we ensure that everyone has access to this kind of education for their children? Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Um, I I think, um, yeah i mean it's it's that's the thing <laughs> you know it's a, it's it's not um it depends where you are is one thing okay so for example in the uk as we've discussed that you don't there isn't choice in terms of um this type of education mm. um but there is if you are able to pull them out of the system and to unschool them at home so that yeah. that, that that's one way of doing it but it's it's obviously not going to work with many many families and mm-hmm. it's it's just not going to be possible um and so that's go, always going to be a problem isn't it you know t- t- until the system until all schools become like the learning project mm-hmm. here you know then you're not i mean i'm not saying that they should be but you know what i mean it's it's kind of like you don't have that that, that option um but there are i mean i for anyone out there who is thinking that the system that they're you know that their child is in right now isn't what they want they can explore some of the things you've mentioned you know if they're able to kind of travel to a school you know some of the wonderful things they're doing i think at your children's school and things like that um i would recommend like reading kerry mcdonald's book called unschooled um first you know it's available on audiobooks and um you know kindle and it's a really great read um because what she does really well is she describes all of the wonderful things that are going on all around the world and ways that you can um, implement unschooling in your child's life mm. um, without necessarily having to, having to pull them out of a, a system. Mm. And I think that could just be the first kind of seed uh, of, um, of change. Because I think, um, like you say, yeah, we're the community here in Ibiza is really lucky to have a school like ours 
Um, yes, it does cost money as well. Um, we Most schools like ours uh, offer some form of either sliding scale or way of helping people to afford it if they want to, because, you know, we are essentially we have to survive, but we also, you know, care about our community. Um, but it's just one of those things, isn't it, that you, you know, when parents send their kids to our environment. Apologies um, for the crying in the background. My oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but when they send, when the things uh, send kids to our environment, one of their worries is like, what if we move back to the UK or somewhere else? And, you know, what would the transition be like? And that's a, a different conversation because typically kids transition from environments like this really well into different environments. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's my kind of not quest, but my desire that just more and more unschooling opportunities happen mm. uh, around the world. You know, there are cooperatives, there are places where, mm. you know, you can pull kids out of school and have local cooperatives that where they, they meet up and, you know, different families in a smaller scale might want to take on, you know, in rotation, you might, even if it's just four or five right. kids or something like that. That's so there what are we ways. explored. Yeah. yeah. And just to say that, because for anyone in the UK listening, we went on a really long journey trying to figure this out, you know, trying to figure out what would be the best option for us. And, you know, people will come up with the the answer of I couldn't possibly homeschool my kids because I think people's version of homeschool is what happened in lockdown, which isn't what homeschool is for anyone right. that I know that is, you know, long term homeschooling, yeah. uh, you know, or, or unschooling. There are options to do it within community, with different families in your area to, mm. you know, one day you have them, one day someone else has them. There are also groups that you can drop off. There's forest schools. You know, if you can kind of manage to sort out two days a week that you're doing, the other three days you can pretty much have facilitated um, in different ways. So there, there definitely are options. Mm. Um, one last thing to ask, you just mentioned a great book, and we've obviously mentioned Sir Ken Robinson's books, which for me mm. are always a must read, as well as his TED Talk, um, the most ever watched TED Talk on YouTube, which is called um, Do, Skill, Do Schools Kill Creativity? Yes. Do you have, I, I'm going to put a few in in the show notes, a few, few uh, resources that I've read or that have been recommended to me. Do you have any specific book recommendations that people can go away and check out in the meantime? Yeah, I would start with the Kerry MacDonald. I mean, that's like a really good start, I think. Um, also, Free to Learn by Peter Gray yeah. is, is, is yeah. your next one. Or you maybe start, whichever one you start with, you're going to be mm. either inspired or not. And that's what we recommend to to anybody wanting to join our environment, like read one or both of those books and then come with your questions. So in fact, our enrollment procedure is like that. We have an enrollment committee within the school, which consists of students as well, kids. And the families now have to come having researched what we do mm. and come and explain to the kids and us why they think this environment might be good for their children mm. as opposed to the long-winded way of having to explain what self-directed democratic like having this podcast for example mm. but if somebody listens to this podcast they're better equipped maybe to go to an environment or a group like that well but here yeah, we go this I, can be I, the first resource that you offer them now <laughs> exactly <laughs> so definitely the Kerry mcdonald unschooling and free to learn by peter gray Definitely. And then, yeah, I can send you more to put in the in the list below. But yes, I, okay. I think start with those yeah. and see where you go, where your journey takes you from there. Amazing. What a lovely way to end. Ben, thank you so much. I think it's been very enlightening. We'll, we'll be very enlightening for a lot of people trying, you know, not happy with the system, considering other options and getting an idea even of how we might change the system from within. So thank you for your time. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you if 
If you haven't yet heard, I have just released a free, yes, free journaling course. If you've always wanted to try journaling but just don't know where to start, or you've been hearing how powerful journaling can be but you just don't understand why, or you want to create a daily practice that enhances your life but you just need a little support in doing that without it costing you anything, this course will do all that for you. It is packed with content that will show you just why journaling is important, how to do it, where to start and how to make it work for you. It is completely free and that is as a way for me to pay it forward because journaling really is one of the most integral parts of my growth practice and I want to give that to you. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes to get the course sent directly to your inbox. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now don't forget I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate you. Reconditioned is proud to be working with Women for Women International, a charity that supports women survivors of war in eight war-torn countries around the world. You can help a woman survivor of war transform her life today by visiting womenforwomen.org.uk forward slash donate.